When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone from the Backburner Podcast is sponsored by Birch Barrel. Uh, Live fire cooking has never been more fun than with a birch barrel. Um, Have you ever tried, you know, like you want to cook a piece of meat and like on a grill, on a normal grill, and you, you put the meat down and you just don't know what's going on on the underside, right? Like, and, and when you do, like the only way to do it is to pick it up and check it. And then I can never get that meat back on the exact same grill grates, you know, to keep those perfect, pretty lines that you want on, on your steaks and, and meat and stuff like that. Well, this one, you can actually just lift the entire lid up with the grates and see what it looks like underneath before you decide to flip it. So I can't say enough good things about Birch Barrel. Uh, it's it's just a it's a wonderful piece of outdoor cooking equipment. Um, you should see them in action, but uh, check them out on birchbarrel.com. Uh, there's tons of videos. They've got TikTok, they've got Instagram, uh, YouTube videos, you name it. Um, but if you do decide you want to get one, use my promo code BURNER, B-U-R-N-E-R at checkout uh, for a 10% discount. Again, welcome to the Backburner Podcast. My name is Jonathan O'Dell, your host, and I am coming to you. This is this is going to be the first of, of hopefully a few podcasts uh, that I get done here, but I'm coming to you from jolly old England uh, today. Um, I always kind of wondered, you know, because I'd heard people say merry old England, but it's jolly old England. I didn't I didn't know that. And it's I, I don't know if it's because they're just jolly and, and happy people or, or um, you know, what's going on there. But um, I, I made the trip um now today's podcast um i'm actually here with uh with a good friend of mine um and before i i, I want to steal some of his thunder before i before i, I let him go and, and introduce himself but so uh my guest today is his name is oliver power um and he oper owns and operates tuscan antler um guiding service here which is he's he's a infamous as, as he would say, uh, world-renowned Munt Jack deer hunting guide. Um, he's hunted him in, in several countries here in Europe. Um, and how I found him the first time was uh, in 2019. I was I was coming to hang out, uh, hang in in London uh, after a, a trip to India. I had a few few extra days to kind of burn and, and vacation time, and just thought, oh, I'm going to go hang in, in England and. Uh, my wife was bugging. She's like, she's like, what are you going to do there? And I said, I don't know. I'll just, I'll hang out in London. I, you know, I can, I can find stuff to do in, a, in a, another city or another country. It's, it's not hard. But uh, finally, she, she was, she was bothered enough. She's like, you, you need to go like fishing or hunting or something while you're there. And I'm like, well, I hadn't thought about that. Well, let's, let me start looking into it. Well, in my, in my research, um, uh, now I know England is not you know, like the first thing you, you, the first thing you put in your mind is rabbit hunting, uh, when it comes to coming to England, but, uh, it certainly was for me. And I, in my searches, I, I, I found this guy who, who like offers rabbit hunting in, in England. And I was like, what the heck? I'm like, I got to check this guy out. And, and I think the timing was a little strange at that time, but it was, it was actually a good time to go munch jack deer hunting. 
And I give a lot of deer hunters, coos deer hunters in particular, I give them a lot of grief about how small coos deer is and that I shoot jackrabbits bigger than coos deer. And so I felt it was time to actually shoot a deer that was smaller than a, than a jackrabbit for, for once. And so um, uh, Oliver was, was up to the task and, and uh, uh, we had a, a great hunt back in 2019. Uh, can't believe it's, it's, it's been that long. Uh, COVID's kept me away for a long time, but, uh, when I knew I was coming back, I said, man, I gotta, I gotta call Oliver and, and I gotta set up a rabbit hunt. Cause that's, I, I truly feel like I missed out on that first one. So anyway, without further ado, welcome Oliver power. Thank you, Jonathan. Very nice to be here. <laughs> Hopefully, be, hopefully that be, wasn't and be collared in uh, Chemsford of all places. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully that wasn't wasn't too embarrassing for you. No, 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 no not I, at I all. I didn't want to flatter overflatter you too much, but <laughs> you're you're an incredible mutt jack guide. Well, I've been looking at monk jack on and off for thirty odd years now. Yeah. So I grew up in Hertfordshire. The, the two primary deer species we had were monk jack and fallow. Fallow, a nice deer, but the monk jack, he's got a unique character about him. And, you know, he's an illegal alien. So <laughs> a bit like me, you know, I'm half Danish, half Irish. So we sort of sort our personalities. <laughs> he's a bold chap. A lot of people don't like him. They? they think he's an ugly deer. But, you know, he's got he's got character and, uh, you know... He's. I think it's a beautiful animal. Oh, really he, beautiful, he, beautiful animal. It, it was. It was pretty spectacular for me that first time when 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 you took me out and I'm like, okay, I, I got to learn as much as I can about this this small old deer. The only the only thing that I knew immediately about munchaks was was they have the tusks um, and the antlers. Correct. Unlike the Chinese water deer that just have the the tusks. And I mean, these are like big vampiro style fangs, you know, on a, on a deer. Uh, oh yeah. You can slice your fingers <laughs> with on, on those tusks. I've done that many times, but it's interesting as a species, how it makes that, uh, keystone link between fully tusked deer where you've got your musk deer and your Chinese water deer, and then you're getting into your antler deer. It really is that bridging. Kind of bridging the, the gap. Yeah, bridging the gap, so to speak. Well, and it, so this is the Reeves Muntjac, right? Correct. Which well, comes it, originally from China. India. Now China? China. This is China. We did have, uh, so the Duke of Bedford imported them, what, in the 19th century, 20th century period earlier that, and they've escaped and they're incredible breathers. And um, yeah, they've they've done very well, very well in in this climate. Um, but with regards to the Chinese water deer, which was also imported, you know, they've sort of clung onto their sort of areas. They haven't been so prolific in breeding like the monk jack has. Is that, do you think that's just a habitat thing, or it could be, it could be, could yeah. be? But it's just a tough, hardy little deer. Yeah, really oh, we've we've seen so many of them tonight. I know, along with the um, roe deer. Yeah, roe deer, and, and it's it's fascinating to me, you know, that they they're called the barking deer. Yes, and that they they literally do sound like a dog barking off in the like distance. a Jack Russell barking <laughs> off distance. I mean, I mean, I mean, for years when I used to be at my parents' home, you could hear at the backwoods, you'd hear one spark up one end. And it's like a tennis match. The other one will spark up the other. Bang, 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 <laughs> bang, bang. And then you hear another one. Bang, bang, bang. You know, it's constant cacophony of little dogs barking at one another. <laughs> and, you know, for, for a 
for such a small deer, they make a hell of a racket. Oh, they do. They, they, <laughs> well, and then it was interesting because when, when I was here the last time, uh, the roe deer that, w- that were in the same area we were hunting, yeah. even, even today, um, they have just a completely, di- it's like a kind of a guttural. Yeah, it's more from the throat. It's not a sort of rasping bark. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the, the first thing when you get into our woodlands, the only, the main noise that comes out of that is really it's the monk jack that starts barking at you yeah. in the morning. And I, I should set the stage for the, the listeners. So we're about about an hour and a half west, two hours west of, of London. Yeah, central in the, London. In the Cotswolds yes. area. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so we're in between Burford and Lechlade, our hunting area. So it's, yeah. it's mixed, mixed forestry with um, arable land around here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I... I, I I often called the the area we were the the first area in the hundred acre wood, um, yes. like the Winnie the Pooh, because it was just this this really cool giant wood lot um, surrounded by by farmland, um, you know, out in, in the countryside. So we'd butt up against the edge and and come to some roads that you know you're looking into the farm field across and. Well, you know, they like that uh, dense woodland to skip around and sort of they have that sort of stuttered walking in between the trees and stuff like that but uh unfortunately our main woodland has been hit very hard by this ash dieback so a lot of the old uh standing trees are going to be felled and we're going to have new oak plantations put in so a lot of the deer you can actually feel that sort of shift out of this old uh woodland into the newer plantation which is roughly about 25 years old it's more dense you know full of lively um uh, healthy trees yeah so um yeah but you can see that shift in where the deer want to move around and stuff like yeah, that yeah and there was there was a lot of ash that was cut yeah. down um a, and a some lot. still standing obviously they had the blight on it but yeah they look like you know terminal cancer victims unfortunately these these poor poor trees you know it's devastating yeah, yeah. and you said you're they're looking to replace them hopefully with oak yes they are okay but i think that will come in next season Next, yeah. next, or yeah, they're going to fell, and I think next autumn or something, they're going to start replanting and stuff like that. So uh, now, now you do a lot of work regarding munchaks um, as as a conservation measure, or or <laughs> kind of some some control measures. Well, we have to manage them because there's no um, there's no um, closed season with munchak in, right. in the UK because as soon as the uh, the female uh, drops a young, she comes into season and then she can start to be impregnated by the buck again. So this is constant circle. But we do have well on our ground for for hunting them. We primarily come in and hunt from October until mid March with the bucks and the does. That's when the bucks are in good coat condition they're in good antler and stuff like that and we sort of keep to that parameter you know you know getting past that you know you can already see in march you know uh, i was up at another place in hampshire already seen uh, and and of course this evening we've seen a couple of monk jack with uh, females with uh, uh, small kids with them and stuff like that or they're very heavily pregnant and you know we sort of set a standard where you know, from an ethical point of view, we don't want to be shooting uh, those that have got young that are depending on them or they're heavily pregnant. Um, yeah. I could tell you some uh, 
nasty stories about people uh, forcing you into a position to shoot very heavy, heavy uh, pregnant animals. And when you've uh, done the uh, gralic on them, you find you don't find entrails, you find a, a black coat. Yeah. I had one once with a gamekeeper and he t- literally turned green. But yeah. then he was insisting that those animals had to be out of his pen. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, we like to try and, you know, be ethical in our in our management of the deer and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, I mean, because I've noticed, you know, in, in talking with you over the time, there's, you have, uh, you know, some some animals are cull. Um, Correct. They're, yes. they're not, you know, it's it's not like a sport hunting. It, it's a sport hunting opportunity for, for folks, but you're not looking for the, the large no, but, quality. No, but the and, problem, you know, I run a professional hunting and guiding system, but, uh, company, but the, the, the point is I'm also a very small cog in the whole farming community. Right. And as a result, I can't have, I would love to have a menagerie of deer, you know, I would be biased it, you know, I want constant stock for clients to come in and come and shoot, but there comes a point that, you know, I don't want somebody phoning me and saying they're a hundred roe deer going through their wheat field in the spring and chewing the whole place up, or they got new plantations, they're finding fraying and all that business, you know, so, you know, they have to be clipped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, you know, the way I, I manage them, I, I, I feel they're more like a I have that. I have an image of a bonsai tree. You know, we've got the main stem. We've got the good genetics there. We're just sort of clipping at the edges to, you know, numbers are uh, at a a good balance, should we say, between what's acceptable to the landowner and what's acceptable that we can go out and see with clients and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. we're trying to constantly trying to make a balance with that. Yeah. No, and that's it's I it, it was probably one of the most amazing deer hunting experiences. Y- you and I were were standing there pretty much at the, on the the same site um tonight, <laughs> yes, tonight yeah. where I where I where I took that deer those years ago. And, yeah. Um it yeah, like all this once you pointed that out, I'm kinda of looking around going, Oh yeah, I remember he came out from we that, were just that, that edge stood of the there and, talking and out he came and then Get up on the sticks and there we go. And and tonight we were we were there with the sticks again. Um yes. but but a whole different species we were chasing. Yes, after your uh the old bunny, the old rabbit, yes, which we've been <laughs> hunting for years and years at night with. So uh uh yeah, tonight we were out with the thermal imager on the pulsar equipment with the Sandschultz rifle using subsonic ammunition after some rabbits and um it's been it's been a little bit quiet you know as i explained to you when we we're at you know those sort of great days where you would shoot 50 80 100 rabbits a night they sort of died off for numerous reasons due to ill health within rabbit populations and also the big growth in um uh, birds of prey in the uk which yeah. is a very positive thing as well well it's, it's so it's interesting to me um you know, uh, rabbits and, and in particular the hair, um, yes. because you, we, we, you do have the two different ones. Yes. Um, the hair is, it's European hair. It's an, it's yeah, an introduced species hair, yes. as well. Yeah. Um, but it's so prevalent in English art and culture and, and iconography. And I mean, like, like you can, if you walk around England, you're going to see 
the image of a hare yes. <laughs> anywhere and everywhere yes. from uh, from gargoyles on on <laughs> ancient buildings to you know i mean old carvings i mean like it's just it's everywhere it's it's i'm sitting in this airbnb and, and our host has a has a carved uh hair <laughs> sitting knickknack sitting on the on the shelf and there's there's some paintings on the wall that have it it's 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 a really prominent image i think i think again you know the hare is one of those animals which is quite uh, iconic to the British countryside. You know, it is again another very beautiful. You know, in the same spirit for me for the monk jack as, as as well with the hare. You know, it's a very beautiful, noble animal in the fields. And you know, um, but I'm 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 a little bit ignorant on 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 cultural background with with the hare and all the. Yeah, background I, to do to do with this. This is, I have never I'm, read, read I, up on. I'm it. just I'm just amazed um, that and, and you and I were talking. I, we don't know exactly yeah. who introduced them, the Romans or. Well, that was the rabbits. I okay. believe I believe it's. I think it was the Romans or the Normans. One of the two. One of the two introduced the rabbit. Yeah, the rabbit. But somehow the hare came along for the ride at some point in history. I don't know if they're they're indigenous to the to the UK. Yeah, that I, uh, I, that I, I, <laughs> I plead ignorance to. Yeah, so. I, it, it would be. They've obviously been around a long time, and and the the, you know, Eng the English people have really adopted it, you know, yes. as a, as a species of of prominence that I mean, you just you see everywhere, um, and, and culture, and it's just it's kind of baked in. So, because I had asked you earlier. Um, um, I was dropping dropping some knowledge bombs on 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 Oliver here. I said I said, do you ever hear them referred to the rabbits? If you ever hear them referred to as conies, um, any at all no, anymore? Not at all. And so um, so for for listeners out there, um, the the coney is an English word for rabbit. It's an old English word, um, and so occasionally you'll run across it. Now now Americans will probably be used to hearing Coney Island. Um, you know, off off there in New York, um, and that was actually a reference to Rabbit Island. Um, okay. That's that's where it got its name. But uh, uh, yeah, Coney um, actually, and I I'm actually mispronouncing it wrong because they actually used to pronounce it as as Cunny, like honey. Okay. Um, but it's C O N E Y, and so you know, I think it's the the American in us that you know <laughs> that's why we still call it Coney Island instead of Cunny Island or whatever. But um, kind of a kind of a, an interesting, and then it fell out of favor. Um, okay. because of, of uh, a negative connotation um, that uh, the word turned into that <laughs> is a little more common here in, <laughs> heard in Europe but in America is completely off limits it's 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 bad juju um, you know you, you definitely don't say it in polite company but yeah sometime around um, the late 1800s I guess is, is like yes. it started just this transformation over and so I was I was interested to know if you'd still heard any any old timers calling them conies or no not at all you know from from a hunting point of view uh rabbits have always been viewed as a pest species you know after the second world war you know they introduced um oh it's gone from my brain this uh, disease into the population myxomatosis myxomatosis yeah and that 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 pretty pretty knocked the population and um then there's been a reinsurgence and you know f during the 80s and 70s and 90s and into the double noughts you know we used to go out lamping and and you know it's primarily always uh an arable pest 
you know, mm-hmm. munching into the barley and the and the weeds and stuff like that, and ripping up hedgerows and stuff like that. And you, you, you know, farmers just wanted if you're going to turn up to shoot, turn up and shoot them and get rid of them. You know, that was a policy. And you know, uh, the game dealers and the, some of the publicans would offer you about two pounds fifty a headshot on a rabbit, which is pretty good going. And um, you know, the old age pensioners would get their uh, rabbit pie on a on a Thursday. And you know, that's <laughs> about you know that that is my real uh, and only sort of interaction with the rabbit. You know, I've never gone into its full biology or mythical status or anything like that that is just a being the sort of functionality of just getting rid of them you know and they, yeah. they and I, you can see um when they get hold and get in they cause so much destruction yeah. they really do yeah they now, really do now before we get into food i want to i want to step back because you 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 mentioned something that some of the listeners may not be familiar with yeah. so you use the term lamping yes. um now lamping if this this is a term that i learned as well um but it's what we were doing tonight so like you know this uh, was a whole new experience for me hunting rabbits at night and and this time we were using thermal imaging but but prior to that you would go lamping. Yes. So a lamp is just a, just a high-powered uh, torch or beam which you would follow in front of the rabbit and just get the rabbit in the shade, aim at the head with the crosshairs, with the normal scope, bang and knock it over. Yeah. So it's, it's spotlight hunting basically. With, Great. This is what we would call it. Correct. America. So it's either a white light or a, a red infra, infrared uh, filter over the lamp. And, you know, we did that for many, many years before, you know, now thermal imagery, I, I know it's at a high price, but, um, you know, those first generation sort of thermal images were burning your eyeballs out every <laughs> five minutes. But now they're sort of calmed down and, you know, the functionality in, uh, of these thermal images is so good now, you know. Uh, oh, it was, it was very fun. I mean, yes. so, you know, for, for the folks listening, this was my kind of first introduction. To, I, I've I've seen thermal imaging scopes and you know looked yes. through them and all that stuff. But but to be in an actual field situation to hunt with them, yes. Um, the you're right. I mean the the quality of the optics. So we were, you know, we're we're looking over some some you know farmland that that yes. you know had been cut down. I mean it was just just kind of open empty farmland had some little green shoots coming up and yeah, the rats moved crops, in there. Uh, yeah. And we were also in 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 the woodlots there, and the the quality of the image. I mean, it was it was so amazing to be at, like I could. We'd pick out, you know. Obviously, you're looking yes. for that blinding white light of the heat, correct? Um, from that, but once you kind of like dialed in on it, you could you could see detail. Once I mean, once it was dark, we 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 got in the field, and there was a bunch of bright whites, yes. and it was like, oh, there's got to be rabbits. So we got out and looked, and sure enough, you know, you're telling me, oh, there's, you know, there's one off to the right. And I started really kind of looking at it. There was probably about four or five rabbits we were looking at in, in this field. And the one on the right, I was like, I was like, that, that it doesn't look right. 
Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like a rabbit. We were, we were kind of, I was stymied because I was like, it looks like there's two heads there. And so, you know, just the shape and all of it, it, it was, it was so, but it, they were two birds yeah, um, who were just kind of huddled up down this field. It, and you could clearly see, it, it took me a minute to register what that image was versus, you know, the, the, the classic outline of what you see is, I mean, you can see the ears, you can, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's almost it's if you could just imagine a, a white silhouette image, correct? Um, just like my logo, you know, yeah, <laughs> the no, yeah, 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 correct. And 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 you can just go, okay, there's a rabbit. Um, and then we were seeing deer, and then you saw the um, you saw the, the the brown hair, and you could see the way it was folding its back down, you know, double the size of the rabbit, and the way it was folding its body, and you could see the the distinct uh, characteristics about how a hare would behave in the field. And then we saw yeah. the roe deer and the, the monk jack. We didn't see any fallow tonight. We saw that cheeky young uh, fox. In actual fact, what I've noticed with some of the thermal imaging, when you see the tail of the fox, you can al it's almost like an x-ray. You can almost see the, um, <laughs> the, bones. <laughs> the bones on the tail and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, quite a remarkable bit of yeah. technology. And, and also it gives you that what should we say that more covert advantage that what the lamp gave you once you started shining that lamp all over the place you know rabbits would start to move yeah you're not in that position now you just put on the thermal they're there get get within that spitting distance of the two two or whatever you're shooting with and set up yeah. bang down then maybe you can get onto the next one bang down mm -hmm. you know that's the system whereas the lamp you know you get them running oh they're one stop get on it bang yeah well and these rabbits obviously are, are different than than the cottontails we have in north america because yes. these have burrows and and live on the ground yes um so uh my first real kind of vision or introduction into uh hares yes uh, the european hares of, of of england um came from lewis carroll oh right um, okay you know the adventures of alice in wonderland yes. and, and through the looking glass and uh so it, for those who who you know didn't read the book or whatnot you know i mean you've, you might have heard of the mad hatter and the cheshire cat and and all that but there was another person at the tea party and it wasn't the white rabbit there was the mad hare um, the Mad March Hare yes. <laughs> was at the tea party with with the Mad Hatter and everyone else, um, and it, that stuck with me because uh, I don't remember where else I'd read, but you know, Mad is a March Hare, and, and of course we are here in the in the month of March, and and well, this the is their breeding season, so we usually see, you know, the males will be out in the field, they're both boxing, both on their hindquarters, boxing one another for uh, male dominance on the females, or it could be a female hitting a male because she's not ready to uh, be mated with yeah so you will see them dancing around in the fields at this time of year for, yeah it's for, it's uh, and it's it's a straight up boxing match correct um, it we, is. we we get it around the same time of year um uh in arizona for the the antelope jackrabbits okay. um, sometimes we'll run into them when they're just boxing the i mean it's it's like a prize fight you know yes. in the middle of the road <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when you can catch it it's it's impressive and of course their their ears are so big that, i mean that's usually when when you hear them you know just swing and, and they'll smack one of the other's ears i mean it 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 sounds like a, a gunshot right. <laughs> they're cracking <laughs> each other um but yeah so the 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 mad as a march hare um had to do with just their their crazy behavior around yes, this time they're, they're sort of aggressive behavior so to speak and so know? that's and that's why we weren't hunting them right now because Correct. you were telling me 
usually from March through July. July yeah. You know, there's, there's their breeding p- period and, you know, they'll have their young, their leverets and stuff mm-hmm. like that as they're known. So, um, you know, we abide by that um, ethical code and not, not to hunt them at this time of year. Yeah. So, uh, and, and there's a, so for, and, kind to, of the, and just to let you know, the rabbits, again, they don't have a close season. We can shoot them all year round. There's yeah. not that uh, ethical, uh, should we say, code of practice to say, oh, well, rabbits are doing this at this time of the year. They are just considered a pest species and they are wanting to yeah. be removed. Like your gray squirrel. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We we sat, we we unfruitfully today. Um, we 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 searched before dark, before dusk. Um, we we saw a few gray squirrels. Just couldn't yes. couldn't make the connection. No. I was I was hoping to, as an American, fulfill my duty to <laughs> to, 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 to remove yes. at least one American gray squirrel yes. um, from from the. Um, but this this area doesn't have the um, the Eurasian red squirrels, do? No, it? we don't have red squirrels. No. I, I, you know, I actually don't. Ge- I think geographically, you're probably your nearest area would be oh, Northumberland and parts of Scotland to here. Uh, yeah. So further maybe, north, yeah, further north, and there are pockets down south somewhere, but I just I, I can't remember the locations of them. Right. So uh, well, and and because the the American the eastern gray squirrel uh, obviously carried with it squirrel pox and and some diseases that that. They actually outcompete the Eurasian red squirrel. They do, and so it's 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 an invasive that that is having a negative impact here on the native species. I also I also understand about the gray squirrel. They're more adaptable for certain other food types as yeah. well than than the than the red is. They're very much generalists. Yeah. Yes. So, but you know, we got it, and it's never going to go away. <laughs> <laughs> never ever going to go away. Well, I, and I wonder. Um, you know, there there are some countries um, uh, that that take great lengths um, to avoid um, having gray squirrels show up. Um, uh, Hawaii actually being one oh, of them. Really? Yes. Uh, yeah. Hawaii is is they have some really strict because sometimes squirrels will get in with air cargo um, or, or on planes <laughs> that that are flying out there, and so I mean they're they're very very strict on it just because uh, you know they've seen what what problems introduced species have um you know to the native fauna and stuff yeah but uh yeah the gray squirrel is is just one of those i mean when it takes hold it seems like it can it can take off just about anywhere um it needs to yeah well they've there's been a well it's debatable but you you now count um poison gray squirrels you could at one point they banned that because they were finding the poison going into the raptors and stuff like that so um well, what's amazing as well, I mean, you have, um, uh, I forget the term, game dealers or game butchers. Game dealers, yes. Game dealers who, yes. who like, they're butcher shops that, that specialize in, in game, correct? That is true, but it's more a sort of halfway house between the uh, end user. They're, 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 they'll uh, butcher and, uh, and sell on if it's... Uh, to the supermarkets and stuff like yeah. that. Well, I mean, I, yeah. you've got gray squirrels for sale in some markets here in, in the UK. Um, that I, I honestly don't really know about. I mean, again, like with the rabbit, you know, the gray squirrel, you know, there is, I have to put my hand on the heart. I don't know anybody who eats gray squirrel. Yeah. There probably people are, but yeah. within my hunting circle, I don't know anybody who eats gray squirrel. Yeah. I, d- I just don't. 
Yeah, I'm 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 hoping to actually find one of the 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 game dealers or something that that actually carries score. I've I've seen them in the packages before in the in the cellophane and yes, <laughs> and styrofoam containers and stuff. I'm like, I just I need to see a gray squirrel for sale in a store, which is just mind blowing for me, coming from from America, where it, most most it, it's probably a good topic to get into. So it's how. England in particular, um, and, and actually most of Europe as well, but, but it's, it's the treatment of game, um, you know, as, as food. So, you know, in America, we, we had the market hunting days, um, where, where game was sold. I mean, it was the most prized meat, you know, yeah. millions of bison were shot. I mean, like ducks, you name it. I mean, it, it was the, the best restaurants in the country were serving wild game. Um, to the detriment of game, um, you know, to mm -hmm. the point where, you know, number guys were, if you were successful with a trap or a gun or whatever, you know, I mean, you could make a lot of money, um, in America, just harvesting game and selling to, to the mm -hmm. markets, to the restaurants. And, and some of it was even, you know, sold around the world. But, um, then we, you know, we entered the conservation period of the, of the early 1900s after marketing when they ended it and, you know, game, game was, you know, suddenly a, it's a public resource. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's owned by every American, um, but it can't be sold. You know, um, if, if your game laws started coming to an effect and so it, it, it literally kind of brought possession to the person, you know, like you got your, your hunting license or whatnot, you harvested the deer, that's yours. Correct. That's it. Yep. You know, you can give it away, but you can't sell it. You know, you can't profit from, from wildlife and stuff. And so here, what, what I think is, is just kind of amazing. Like you have, um, I think it's, what is the British association for shooting and conservation yeah, Bass. Um, has started their, um, their eat game, um, uh, I don't know what you call it, programmer division or, yes. or, you know, kind of where they're encouraging, you know, Brits to like, Hey, get out, you know, cook game. It's, it's healthy. It's good. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's out there. And it just, it just kind of, it amazes me, you know, it's just a whole different perspective on, on. Well, so we can, we can, you know, unlike you in America where you have you, your tag system where mm -hmm. you're, you have a limited bag where you can shoot. If I wanted to, I could go and shoot every deer within the season and sell it all with a, with the game dealer. Yeah. Okay. And, um, I think to give you a, a benchmark prior to Valentine's day, I don't know why, um, the, the cost of row and the, we take row as a, a marker. They were charging one pound 80 a kilo. Yeah. Okay. So that's, price has dipped okay afterwards for a headshot row deer they were giving you two pounds 20 so what did that work out on a 14 kilo animal was hang on a minute i'll give you the what the game ticket i was paid because my maths is useless <laughs> so i brought in a 16 kilo row deer at Two pounds twenty. I got thirty-five pounds twenty for that carcass, and for a monk jack, which a client shot through the shoulder, that weighed in at eight kilos, and that was at one pound a kilo. So mm. it was eight pounds for that monk jack. So really, I mean, by comparison, if you were looking at beef or something, I mean, that's like highly. Oh, but hang on a minute, that doesn't translate onto the end user. Okay. So I'll give you a ridiculous price. 
Selfridges Food Hall in London, one of the top department stores. They have uh, butchers in there. So for a rack of Monk Jack, they were selling it at £52 a kilo. (laughs) Okay, so you're getting those prices at the game dealer, and then you find where it's going and what the end consumer's paying for it. It's a huge difference. So the middleman is making, making a, lot, a little bit of mark. <laughs> a lot. But, you know, it, you know, in the supermarkets, I can't remember what the prices are on Red Deer, which is the primary uh, cut, you know, for a long time. You know, you know what, what, what was the calculations, the statistics? What, there's something over, like, 2 million deer in the UK, okay? Yeah. Through the, through the different uh, six species, okay? We'll keep the exotics aside, okay? We was we're still importing red, uh, red deer meat from New Zealand. Yeah. So we got enough venison for everybody to try here. I don't really think we need to import it. Yeah. I might be controversial <laughs> on it, but you know there is a, there is a gl- growing clamour about that. You know, if you want to be ecological, you know, air miles and all that, <laughs> carbon footprint and stuff like that. But the um, you know, and going back to your original question about people uh, consuming game, is it becoming a a big trend for people to try game? Do you see a lot of game being sold in the restaurants, you know, the box standard restaurants? The answer is no. Yeah. And the problem being is, is that... Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's like, I think it's one of those things, you know, they say... You never get the taste out of your mouth if you drink snake's blood. It's the same as badly cooked venison. If okay. you really badly cook venison, you know, it's tough. It's like an old shoe. And I think once somebody's got that into their psyche, they don't want to explore it ever again. And furthermore, there, there is also a, a, a kind of a, a number of the population thinking it it's wild. It's sort of with that connotation it's a dirty animal because it's not being properly stuffed full of antibiotics like cattle <laughs> and stuff like that and properly processed in that in that same way but you know but there's also the millennials who are coming on you know i teach a lot of people how to hunt and i get all these inquiries oh i'm a flexitarian i, I don't believe in the way meat is farmed now i want to go out and get my own animals i want to learn how to butcher them so there is that growing uh, younger generation which wants to re-explore what has been lost because we have lost a huge amount of butchers and fishmongers where I was a child, you'd see the butcher doing all the cuts off the, off the whole carcass in front of you. The same with the fishmonger gutting everything and filleting everything in front of you. There's a whole generation, as you say, they're just seeing styrofoam wrapped end product at the end of the day they're not going from the field to taking the animal butchering it and consuming it yeah 
but we are seeing that small insurgent and you know in part you know uh your friend uh or associate who uh, does that program on netflix you know a lot of people are getting that influence yeah. from and they and they never picked up a rifle before they've never hunted game before you know i'm getting guys into the you know 30s and 40s who've never done it and they're all inspired by this yeah so he must be doing something good on that on that front and the way he's talking about the language of going out enjoying nature and then consuming the product you know of what they've hunted so yeah. in, uh, in some in some form or fashion hunting is speaking to people in a way yes it is um that i don't know for some reason hasn't been captured or out there before uh, or maybe there's just a greater openness to it um i think it's it, i think it's the perception of what's put in front of the public you know <sighs> i have a very negative feeling towards social media generally and especially the way hunting has been placed on social media platforms mm -hmm. especially if you see somebody badly shoot a bull elephant okay yeah nobody wants to see that and i don't think anybody in their right mind should put something like that on line to do it either you know it's it's only going to draw negative connotation but we need to shift that kind of uh i'm not i'm not i'm not having a go against elephant hunting or anything like that what i what i'm trying to say is that i want to see people more integrated with nature and and consuming what what they get at the end of the day and the only way i can sum that up is that when i'm teaching people take away all the modern technology to go and hunt an animal you know precision rifles and scopes and all that mm -hmm. we are actually going back a hundred thousand years to our hunter gatherer roots okay and we're pitting our wits against nature and the game that's out there you know you know you know it, it always amazes me that people come to me and they ask what's our success rate well i say i can drag you in front of a deer within 20 minutes uh, 20 meters and they go and miss it yeah. well what well, is that my fault that you missed it after you spent all day on the range practicing you get buck fever or something you know but it, you know it's you know, I'd like to see, you know, that reintegration of people to get into nature and have that interaction with animals. You know, it's not always about the kill sometimes, you know. So I may have drifted off a no, little no, bit. No, no, I, I, uh, no, I, I, I completely agree that, you know, there's there's a, a, a shift and change. And I, I like, um, you know, my, my personal interest is the fact that, you know, we're, we're seeing this certainly in america a growth in uh wild game cooking yes um in, in that hasn't really after about you know during the market hunting days um the finest restaurants in the united states were serving wild game uh half a roasted rare canvas back duck at uh you know, the, the risk Carlton in, in New York city. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, this was the most expensive meal you know, yes. in the United States of the day. And, um, you know, all, all these things, you know, they're considered <laughs> Buffalo tongue was considered a delicacy and, and, um, uh, you know, all the, all these things that were going on, but now like 
it's it's kind of a resurgence and and i i appreciate you know um the fact that you know in america there's there's so much regional cuisine um but there's regional game um too you know things mule deer are only in the west and you've got elk but you've got a you know a, a great um kind of history with with bobwhite quail and and squirrels and rabbits in the south and mm-hmm. you know now it's white-tailed deer and turkey but but you know it's the expression of adding game into kind of that regional cuisine and, and how that's coming about and you, you know seeing it um i i often mention being at the the backcountry hunter and anglers rendezvous mm-hmm. uh every year where it's where it's kind of a it's a collection from everyone all across the country and they do these you know the the cook-off competition mm-hmm. pitting state chapters against state chapters and you get to see i mean uh, you know i uh uh i got to actually cook with and compete against um uh justin townsend from florida who who runs uh, harvesting with nature or okay. harvesting nature and so we we cooked at the field to table event um which is a, a fundraising event yes. where people get to we donate our our meat and and skill and cooking and all that stuff uh to feed people so they they can kind of try things from from all around and <clears throat> so that that night justin was actually cooking lionfish um okay. an invasive species there off florida um that he'd, he'd captured and, and i'm right at the cook station right next to him and i'm serving sandhill crane and <laughs> you know to, and i was i was doing a vietnamese style and he he did this really wonderful thing with the lionfish and a mango mm-hmm. salsa and and so to have those two dishes completely you know separated by thousands of miles you know together in one spot was was pretty amazing and then then we get into the actual cook-off the next day where, where he's competing for florida and i'm competing for arizona and i'm doing you know javelina and and he's doing alligator and it it, it was just it's it's so spectacular to have you know unless you travel i mean you would you would see that but to have yes. them at the same place at the same time um and two different completely different you know cooking styles and influences and stuff, you know, between me and him together sitting there was just, just astounding, you know? Well, that's the, uh, that's the great thing. I think in the States that you have this competitive edge and, and want to promote these things. But I, uh, I, to my knowledge, I'm not aware that that kind of thing goes in the, goes on in the UK. I might be totally wrong and I put my hands up to it, but you could. Well, but, but so let's 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 actually dig into food a little bit so i mean the thing of it is 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 you know with regard to rabbits um and and hares um we were talking earlier about you know i mean there's an iconic english dish called jugged hare yes um i mean that's you know from from europe there's a couple of rabbit dishes i can think of jugged hare is one and lapin au motard uh from france uh the the mustard rabbit i mean like those two to me are just like when when i go back into into cookbooks looking for game recipes i mean you know especially for rabbit or hare like those two are standouts you know and there's there's a there's a there's a tradition and a proper way to make these things you know there's a there's a proper english jugged (laughs) hare you know i i can't wait to experience i'm gonna i've got a couple restaurants that i'm gonna end up visiting later in the week to to try this jugged hare because i i see in other restaurants they have like uh loin of hare um served yes you know in a few places alongside venison and some other stuff these these game restaurants but yeah jugged hare was one of those like this is an iconic english dish um well all i know about jugged hare was something that it went absolutely putrefied the the hair and it was supposed to be so high in taste 
you know that's 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 all I know about. I've, I've never experienced jugged hair. You know, uh, my my wife is Cypriot, so the uh, Cypriots love hair. So usually it is just uh, uh, cooked up in the oven with some uh, lemons and some herbs and some potatoes and stuff like that, and that's that's the way I like my hair. The way the way the Cypriots cook it. Yeah. So. Um, that, that that that's very good and and with the rabbit you know you know when we when we do um shoot and keep keep some of the meat from the rabbit you know it's usually mixed in with a game pie so you know we'll have some partridge we'll have some pheasant and some venison you know mixed in with some vegetables and cook it as a proper game pie yeah and and that's i that's what i find do you have do you know like a proper game pie uses so many different and species in it correct yes um for 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 it to be proper i mean is, is there a reason behind like i mean was it just the fact that there's oh we've got little odds and ends and i think <laughs> i think i think it's purely that you know right. it's you know the pheasant and the and the and the partridge you know there's not fundamentally a lot of meat on it so you yeah. know it's just to to bulk up the dish you know with as many different sort of game meat should we say as yeah. uh, but you, but i i do like game pie you know yeah there's that's a good staple. Well, and <laughs> well, because I I told you so. My goal was um, I wanted to shoot a brace of rabbits. Yes. Um, obviously, because of the English title to brace. If, for those of you who don't know what a brace of rabbits is, that's two. Correct. Um, yes. Correct. <laughs> I, I was like, I told all. I said my goal is is I need a brace of rabbits. I just need yes. two. Yes. <laughs> well, we did. We, we we succeeded with. We that. got a double brace. Correct. Yes. So, um, um, but yeah, it was it was. Uh, super super fun do you so like you were saying it we'll step back a minute yes. um so i actually had uh, a friend of mine in arizona who um kind of introduced uh a lot of us into into um hare hunting in southern arizona whose whose wife was from cyprus okay um and he was telling us like that's the thing like his wife his wife was like you know you need to go out and and shoot some hair yes um and he's, he's like what <laughs> you know i mean he's used to deer i mean kind of normal but yeah. uh, on cyprus the hare is pretty much like the largest game animal i guess that and island. partridges yes yeah and so they they have a lot he does a uh, he was telling me about um and the dishes. mouflon and the and mouflon. mouflon yeah yeah which now is outlawed. We can't hunt that in <laughs> Cyprus. But yeah, so there's there's the the, the lemony herb style. There's yes. um, uh, hair and onions. Um, that's okay. another dish that his wife like you yes. know, absolutely loves. He's shared that recipe with us several times, and it's it's a it's a great dish for for jackrabbits and and you know grabbing some onions. And it's not they're not overly complicated. Yes, you know, like there's there's. Not a ton of ingredients, but it, I mean, it just, it cooks and simmers and just kind of absorbs a lot of that flavor and it's just absolutely delicious. Well, the, you know, the, I think also the slight thing about wild rabbit in UK, ever since they introduced that, uh, um, mm -hmm. I think people have sort of shied away from rabbit meat to a certain extent you know yeah so i think that that's a little disappointing in that way but you know i've eaten it i've had no ill effects yet so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. well and and certainly i mean recently you know as you and i were talking about the the mixed mitosis had been for a while and then um this this rhdv the, the rabbit hemorrhagic yeah. disease type one and type two yes um 
and it was it was it's actually been used uh, it was discovered obviously here and i'm not sure you know like where when the outbreak was i i was reading some things but, but i know wasn't its origin from china i can't remember well, I, I know it affects the European rabbits. Yes. Um, that's kind of where they, you know, centralized it. And, and they used it as a weapon in Australia um, because Australia had, the, they introduced rabbits and there's no natural predators for them and they just kind of take over that island. Um, but they used um, type one and type two yes. um, to, to knock the, the numbers. And it was uh, reading some of those initial reports. I mean, there were millions killed in a short window. Um, and then, you know, uh, RHD type one, RHD type one had shown up in the, in the rabbit trade, uh, mm -hmm. pet stuff yes, in, in, in America. And after a while, I think it was, was somehow discovered that type one actually didn't affect North American rabbits. Okay. Um, that it didn't just cause they're completely separate species. It didn't have any ill effects or whatnot. And then, um, COVID hit <laughs> and somehow during all COVID, um, RHDB2 had been discovered a few times in the pet trade in, in the United States. But then we had an outbreak that started in New Mexico. Um, okay. Somehow, some way it got into the wild rabbit population and took off like wildfire. And it was, I was, I was out in the field um, when this happened because it, it immediately spread from New Mexico to Arizona. We, we okay. were number two on the list. Um, is it, it, we didn't even know what it was when it, when it hit Arizona the first time, all of a sudden we just got a call over a bunch of dead rabbits and it was cottontails and hares okay. um, and, and our blacktail jackrabbits. Um, because we didn't, we weren't sure of what could happen with it, whether, cause type one didn't seem to infect our rabbits. Well, you know, what would type two do? Would it only do yeah. cottontails or would it only do hares? And then all of a sudden we found out it was both and it was just like, spread like okay. wildfire. I mean, it made California, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, uh, Kansas. I mean, it was, it really took on, you know, the Southwest into the middle of the country, um, in a short time. And, and of course it was, it was, it was pretty devastating. I mean, it was, it was a faster killer than, um, tularemia was, really? um, you know, yeah. Tularemia, usually the death rate is like, you know, 11 days from infection to death. And this was five. Um, it was fast. It was a fast mover and, and, Thankfully, you know, hit us, hit us, I think at a, at a relatively good time because it doesn't have the same impact on, um, young rabbits. Apparently that's okay. what the literature said is, you know, I think if it's, uh, 90 days old or less, um, you know, it, it'll kill the adults, but juveniles, they'll get sick from then all of a sudden they, they start to develop, you know, some level of immunity and it doesn't, doesn't cause mortality. So, um, no, I think it was a slow creep here because you would speak to people and say, have you got many rabbits in your head? No, actually, you know, we're not finding those numbers again, yeah. you know, because you, you could go out and knock rabbits and suddenly there'd be a big burst of build-up. You knock them, the big build-up, and now it's just, you know, you're just finding them here. You know, uh, there was, uh, I showed you some pictures this evening of uh, an area that I was controlling some paddocks and uh, that was the the largest population of rabbits I've seen in a long, long time, causing a hell of a lot of damage on paddocks for, for horses and undermining yeah. uh, hedgerows and stuff like that. And it was like, oh, we're back to the sort of old days. Where's this great big boom of rabbits come from? But, you know, when we've been out this evening, you know, we've seen pockets of them. But, you know, you come 20 years ago, there'd be... Psh, yeah. 
whole whole field would be alive with the things, you know. Well, and you were telling me an interesting thing. I mean, I, in in North America, we we can see through um, the the Hudson Bay Company's trapping records. Yes, the the cyclical nature of snowshoe hares and lynx, Canadian lynx. Ah, uh, right. Okay. You know? Yes. And here you kind of have a cyclical nature almost of of red fox and well <laughs> hares are i mean are they not as as tightly tied that, that i could not answer i don't know what the uh the graph is for with the dip of fox population against hare and rabbit and stuff like that because uh you know we, we what we have got now is a big build-up of raptors so you you know common buzzards and red kites we're seeing an awful lot of those so whether those large uh, populations of raptors are having that impact on rabbit population and hare populations i don't know i leave that to people like uh chris packham who uh who i shouldn't mention as a hunter but you know you know he he, he would know all the statistics on that yeah. and whether things are <laughs> well i know for a long time uh raptors were um allowed to be shot in Europe, I don't know if that's still a case. No, and- oh no, 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 not okay. now, yeah. no, no, no. You'll go to prison and be heavily fined if you <laughs> should. No, the sacrosanct, yeah, uh, birds prey here. Yeah, yeah, they really are. I mean, there have been a number of cases, high-profile cases of keepers poisoning them because of grouse moors and uh, the rearing of pheasants and stuff like that. But you know, you get caught doing that. Uh, no, you're going to be heavily fined and prosecuted, and I think quite rightly so. You know, it's I think it's one of those things you have to live with. Yeah, it 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 gets into an argument here. You know, the UK is so uh, you know you have lots of predators, big game, uh, big predators in the US. We have nothing. The nearest we have is a fox. You know, yeah. we don't have wolf or a lynx or whatever. Even though people want to try and introduce that kind of thing, but you know, we're quite you know we're shy towards big predators at the end of the day in yeah. this country now we got rid of them well when was the last wolf shot i think the w- last wolf was shot in the 1600s or something you know <laughs> right yeah so uh yeah long long time ago yeah long long time ago well and, and you have celebrations um i i was reading something uh Particularly about the red grouse up north, um, yes. there's a there's a saying or, or something about the Thursdays. Uh, oh. It's it's like the day after opening day um, oh, for the, the restaurants. Uh, oh, what on August the twelfth? Uh, what's the? Oh, I forget the name of it now. Yeah, the, like it's like the happy twelfths or the oh the glorious twelfth, glorious twelfths. Yeah, yes, because yes. grouse were shot the the day before and they get to the restaurants. Correct. Um, yes, ASAP. Yeah, within yeah. twelve <laughs> hours can, or twenty four hours or whatever. Yes, it is. They can serve red grouse in the in the in the high end restaurants Correct. and all that. Most yeah. definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> Most definitely. Because you do have like a, a particular season every year on on red grouse um, up in the north. Yeah, you do. It, it runs in in August. I can't remember the exact dates. I'd have to. Uh, there are too many dates yeah. in my brain for. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, and it and it's also uh, ten past twelve now. So my brain's yeah. a bit sucky. You know, as, 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 as I said to you, Jonathan, you know, uh, come ten o'clock, I'm all, all tuckly. I'm, up in I'm, bed, I'm, you I'm, know. Keep, I'm keeping Oliver out <laughs> no, past no, his no. bedtime. <laughs> Getting an old man now. So yeah. <laughs> But going back to what you were saying, you know, it's interesting when I have new people who who come and hunt 
and see you uh, see one field strip a deer down and then you discuss about the cuts of meat and how to cook them and you know how to prep them they're, they're very involved in this now they really are they find it a great curiosity and they really feel they're getting some connection back that, that they're missed out yeah well, because it isn't it isn't a common curriculum in schools, or you know how to, no. how to butcher your own meat, unless you, no. uh, you know, unless it's something that's kind of gone on your family, or or you know something you you've observed. So. so it's 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 very interesting. You know, I refer back to the this program on Netflix. You know, it's it's quite interesting how it's ignited to get people into the field and explore these things. It's 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 quite amazing. There was a quite a a small number of people who knew about it, but it, you're getting it from all stratas of life now. Yeah, which is which I think is which is absolutely brilliant. At the end of the day, yeah, get more people out there hunting in the correct way, not exploiting it, yeah. and 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 promoting the good things of of consuming and 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 conservation of these things. You know, I think it's really really good not exploiting it. Yeah. Well, and and so, just to touch on this really quick, I, you know, just to, so that that Americans don't think they're alone in this. Yes, um, you guys face a lot of opposition to oh, hunting a and and a hell of a lot. Yeah, utter ignorance, utter ignorance. You know, a lot of I, I hear guys when I go to shoot sitting around talking about the debate about, you know, the extreme end of veganism and and. Um, the way people act towards hunting and I, and they, they always refer back to this argument argument about consuming meat okay and i don't think it's the argument about consuming meat what the argument hinges on, on is that we have a generation gap are so detached from death and they don't like the idea of killing anymore mm -hmm. we paint a very nice word for killing now in the hunting journal is called harvesting right okay to make it more palatable to a wider community and i think because a lot of people are so distanced from that act of going out and killing something and bringing back and consuming it it's an alien world to them and yeah. they don't want it, again, it, you know, we as human beings work very hard for one idea so we can make the rest of that community apathetic and yeah. they know they're going to be served instead of going out and doing it themselves to be self-sufficient. Right. And, um, you know, I'm all for making people more self-sufficient and getting out there and, and making them understand that. And, you know, as we discussed in the field, you know, with veganism, you know, if we all went vegan tomorrow, what are we going to do with every living entity that consumes on plants and vegetables? Yeah. You know, it'll be a desert out there. Get rid of the deer. We get rid of the, <laughs> you know, whatever the beetles are. And, you know, we'd have to annihilate everything. Yeah. Uh, a, a previous guest of mine and I were having this, this a little bit of this discussion where we got into it where, you know, it, it seems as though people view um, the hunting in America, um, I think, a little bit heavier from the gun culture side instead yeah. of the food culture. Um, 
and it sounds like to me, and let me just, I want to get this straight, you know, in terms of what you're facing over here, it seems to be that more of the attacks on hunting are regarding food culture instead of gun culture. Or, yeah, so or is I think, it a little, no, mix of that? If it's gun culture, there's a great deal of people who don't like guns. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're well, obviously well, intertwined, you know. There's, there there's there a, is, but, but you know, the, the, the more the argument is about consumption of food, I think that's yeah. what the thing is. And, you know, again, I can only bring it back to my own experiences about the courses I run. You know, I got a lot of very shy people who come to me. He said, oh, I haven't told anybody I'm coming to do your course to come and hunt. And then some, I, I talk to some of my friends and they say, why on earth do you want to go and do that? It, it to me, you know, I'm so steeped in this. You know, I come from a farming background. I grew up watching animals being slaughtered and consumed on the dining table. Yeah. It's a normal way of life. When when somebody starts to attack me about why do you want to shoot that animal, you know, well, I am going to consume it or give it into the uh, food chain for consumption. You know, it's not it's not shot out of spite and malice and thrown in a hedgerow for the pleasure of destroying something, you know. Right. It, it's uh, it's um, part of my DNA, who I am at the end of the day, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I, I, wish, I wish people were a little bit like everything, you know, we wish them to be a little bit more open. Sure. I, I'll give you one example. I had a, I have a, um, a lady who helped me with my website for doing my logo, and I wanted to get some stickers like you have, with, mm-hmm. which I admire greatly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she sent it off to this local um, printers, and um, she said to me, "Look at this email I got back for the printers. I'm terribly sorry." I don't want to print stickers for your client because I don't believe in what he does. I'm not doing anything illegal, you know. <laughs> she has she's just made an assumption that's a, a prejudice, you know. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why be out of the loop with nature? <laughs> you know, that's the way I see it. You know? yeah, it, well, and it, and it can be problematic. I mean, you know, to, to, to bring up the fact that, that, you know, you are a hunter and, and those kind of things. Um, I, I was, I was wearing my, my hunt to eat, um, yes. uh, hoodie today, um, when I was in town and, and, uh, you know, for the most part it was, uh, you know, I mean, folks weren't putting the connection together. Yes. Uh, of you know what that really meant, you know, and uh, um, which you know was was kind of nice, but it was it was a uh, um, thanks Martin for my my great uh, my great hoodie because um, it, it doubled great for my um, my uh, my OD green complete foliage outfit while I was hunting today with the rabbits to, to stay camouflaged. But um, uh, it, yeah, it's I it's it's kind of this it, it's the triad of of hunting I, I mean like i said you you have food culture you have gun culture and then you yes. have killing you know those are kind of the three main it's we're the intersection um of of heartache i think for most people comes into into effect if you were if you were drawing drawing those overlapping circles yeah you know, that's 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 the point um it's just how much of of one or another because every individual is different you know that, that oh i don't like guns or you know maybe i just well, more you, but you know you talk killing. about uh, gun culture 
and when I take people out to the to the range to zero zero the rifle for the for the first time, you know the the procedures we go through and how we teach people to use the rifle and everything, it's so dry and it's so boring. I'm not giving them that that angel dust adrenaline filled that you're going to be sat on an mg42 hosing people down but yet but yet you have a certain sector of society that is allowing their young teenage children to be consumed by really hideous violent video games where children can pick up in the game uh, uh, a combat knife and start sticking it in the head of a zombie yeah what I, I just don't understand that the, the, the sort of disconnect between what you and I would go and do and what somebody who hates guns allows their young child to go and stick imaginary knives in zombies all the time. I just don't understand that uh, sort of dislocation. Yeah. And, and, but yet she wouldn't allow her child to go and run around with a cap gun or anything like that. They would think that's being aggressive and violent. Yeah, no, and it's I, I. I often say that that one of the the grandest things for me as a as a kid yes. was obviously you know being given that education, the respect for the firearm that that you know this is this comes with a lot of responsibility. Yes. It's dangerous. I mean, there's there's you know things die because yes. of because of a simple movement of a finger. Correct. Um, but to, to have the freedom to, you know, be alone, Correct. um, walking around in the woods Correct. with a gun, um, whether, you know, killing anything or not, I, to me, it was a hugely valuable experience, um, you know, to, to just, to I think it's a experience. very blessed experience to always do it every day. I mean, that's why I like doing it to be, <laughs> just to be out looking at things you know yeah. it's a great feeling yeah it really is you don't have to pick up the gun and shoot everything you see it's, that's not the that's not the purpose you yeah. know no. just good to be out you yeah. know yeah and, no but it's 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 uh i as as a young boy it was like i think it was very powerful for me to just you know have that experience to be able to say you know like my parents trusted me enough you know <laughs> Let me right. go walk around in the woods with a with a with a gun, you know. Uh, oftentimes, and and you know, some I think it's some of those romantic um, ideas and, and stuff from from old literature, you know, of of you know that it's that classic story of the young boy and and you know his dog or what you know whatever to just being out Huck Finn, you know, <laughs> uh, well, any of those things. Well, it, it, but you know, I've you know you talk about literature, you know, you know I love. Uh, Robbie Lewis Stevens is kidnapped. You yeah. know, that's again about self-sufficiency and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, uh, John Buckham's Green Mantle and uh, 39 Steps and all these kind of things, you know. Kids aren't brought up with that kind of um, individual sort of self-sufficient... Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know what young children read what what great literature they read these days too sure. well and and someone had pointed out to me i had a i had a professor who um when i was in college um was doing this kind of long-term study yes 
And uh, one of the things, like we actually participate, all of her students did. She during her class, it was a mammalogy yeah. class, and and we had to bring in our favorite children's book and read it to the class. As silly as that sounds, yeah. you know, at a, at a college level, you bring yeah. in a children's book. Well, what was fascinating to me was um, uh, I was like, I know what book I'm going to bring in. You know, I remember as a kid reading Peter and the Wolf. Like, you know, I mean, I I had the Tchaikovsky records that I used to play on Monzo (laughs) record player, had the music to go along with it. And so I went out to the bookstore and I I found, um, you know, Peter and the Wolf is this classic Russian tale, you know, out of the Urals and stuff. And and I was shocked before I even read the class because I read it again and I realized that the story had changed um, in in the book. And what it was, was when the, the story I'm used to is the wolf eats the goose and then the hunters come right and oh my gosh and so they they kill the wolf and they cut him open and save the goose which is you know pretty pretty ridiculous um but in the new version that i was reading um the the wolf didn't eat the goose the no longer the hunters came it was the woodsmen um (laughs) came and they captured the wolf and took it to the zoo and so the wolf didn't die, you know, every, everything was happy. I mean, it still had kind of the same elements, but, you know, one of the things she was looking at was um, anthropomorphization of uh, characters in a book. So, you know, does the animal wear clothes? Does it talk like a human? Does it have, you know, and and so one, something that someone pointed out to me, you know, I think during the era of the time when you and I grew up, um, there was most of of the animals we saw on television or, or read in books were dealt with in a realistic way. Yes. Like, like, you know, um, white fang or, or, you know, call the, I mean, any of these, these older, like animals were wild, you know, Correct. they didn't talk and, and they were dealt with in a realistic ex, as, as real as, you know, could, could be expected, I think within the bounds of, of creative you know, fiction yes. writing or whatever. And, and even on TV where, you know, suddenly, you know, kind of Disney comes along or, you know, these kind of things. And, and it really changes where animals are, are, they wear clothes and they, they talk and suddenly the heroes um, like, so for the hero for us, you know, was, was the character in, you know, where the red fern grows or, or Jack Lennon's white fang or, you know, any of those, it, you know, the young boy. Now the animals are the hero. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, you have Finding Nemo, you have, you know, I mean, these other things where the, where the animal themselves is now the hero, um, but they, they're relatable, you know, in, in terms of not being truly as they are, but being this, this hero archetype or, or something, you know, literary um, to, to connect them to. And so they look at animals differently, you know, as, as they, they are humanized or they are, you know, anthropomorphized to, to have, the same feelings and, and life and all, you know, so that you can see yourself in that animal. Well, you know, know it's interesting you say that. I remember a good number of years ago, there was a BBC program called Big Cats, uh, where they were out in Africa looking at various big cat species. And there was an, there was one particular story they built up about, I believe it was a leopard, and she had about eight cubs, as far as I recall which was quite a large litter for this particular leopard. And, um, of course, they were worried about, the, you know, the whole drama about how she's going to cope with the the uh, her brood and all that business and what's going to predate on the brood and stuff like that. Anyway, in and out of my brain, so to speak, I was watching this thing. <laughs> so I'm 
<laughs> anyway, the the upshot was she lost a couple of these uh, cups, and uh, the uh, the woman interviewing or doing the presenting was talking to the cameraman and expert about this and uh, saying oh, it was very sad. And, uh, and then she came out with this line. She said, um, "Well, I hope the um, leopardess gets closure over this." And the guy sort of looked at her. What's a leopardess going to leopard going to do? Is she going to go and see a shrink about um, how she's going to get over the loss of two cubs? And it it just shows you how it just demonstrated there. And then it's how one person's view is so disconnected from the reality of nature. And it's just, and we have this ongoing. And then the the other thing we haven't really explored about this triad is about. That I feel there is a certain sector within society now that you and I are animals, okay? Mm-hmm. But there's a certain sector in society that doesn't believe it is part or is an animal. And they're trying to rid itself of any kind of animalistic trait about it. And we can see this with this drifting away from getting more and more away from nature. Yeah. Really can. There are examples where I'm getting <laughs> well, my brain. And, and, and I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I've been kind of, you know, looking into that myself and, and trying to understand the, the, the mindset and the idea of, you know, and, and I, I see where you're coming from. And I, I think where that's related to is, is the fact that we have, um, it's it's the self consciousness. It's it's the awareness of consciousness, um, because we in in nature there isn't anything um, that's that's good or bad, you know, good or evil in nature. It just it just is. Um, you know, a, a predator is going to eat the prey. It's it's gonna, you know it's going to do those things. And there's nothing intrinsically bad or good about. It. I mean, they're they're. It making, is what it is. They're making their life. We we have consciousness to where we we can consider our actions, and and that's where you know along those lines where where hunting ethics came into you know yes. where it was like, okay, we're we're actually you know developing tools and stuff that are that are too good, you know where we have a serious advantage over game, you know, oh um, yes. where where it's, it's almost too much, and so we have to self limit um, ourselves. In, in allowing that animal, having that, that fair chase ideal of it, it has equal opportunity to evade us. Well, that's true. <clears throat> but, but then, uh, but then it, it's important you say that because one of the learning curves for people who come on my courses is, is that they have to learn humility as well. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> just because the game is there, it doesn't mean you're going to go it because, uh, you know, they've got this modernized, modernized thinking of convenience that, they think they're going to go into the wood and it's going to be delivered on a plate to them and they're going to take it away there and then. You know, it's just like that all the time, but it doesn't. They've got to learn some humility when they go out into nature. Yeah. Well, as, as you and I learned very yeah. much tonight, it was, it was you know, okay, well, we can we can get rabbits in front of us. It doesn't mean they're going to go down. <laughs> and, and just to... to let the folks in on the, on the, on the kind of the, the chuckle we've been having yeah. is, so we were, we were having a really good night 
seeing lots of rabbits and and as oliver was telling me he said you know you you upgraded from lamping to to, to this thermal to this yeah. thermal and it, it, your success rate actually on shooting had gone down <laughs> yes actually it is because i just find that bit of technology a little bit tricky at the moment it's new to me you know it, it the way the scope is set up you know uh, you know it's reduced my head shooting for rabbits yeah. it really has it's more body shot but then but then again you know it's just it's, it's just probably one of those things to practice to get out and practice yeah. i said and my practice has declined with night shooting only because we don't have those large numbers of rabbits anymore yeah. my you know my primary hunting is on deer you know so i'm going back to that traditional i'm not using thermal imaging for right. uh, scope and it's quite interesting about thermal imaging there is a discussion that going on is is thermal imaging you know uh ethical with deer stalking right because you know like you i've been brought up to track wounded game or to or to go and track deer look at tracks and go and track them look for signs look, look look all that terrain bit. where do you want to instead find of them? turning up my car switching on my thermal flashing across the wood there's a deer right you know yeah. relying on on your more natural senses than correct than, yes than the, than the tools and equipment yeah um until the batteries die out and then you go oh well uh, it was quite interesting i had a client who um who came with a thermal imager a number of years ago and he didn't come with a pair of binoculars, which I found odd. And he was going, oh, there's a heat source. There's a heat source. There's a heat source. And it was like you could see chunks of this through the thick brambles and stuff like that. But I said, well, can you tell me what species it is and what sex it is? Oh, no, well, we'll wait a minute. We'll wait a minute. Yeah. But he wasn't exploring with his binoculars, you know. Yeah. It's, it was a very sort of limited technology at yeah. that point. Yeah. Well, well, just about the time I started getting the hang of of, of shooting rabbits, because there was there was a, a, a number of good misses by by yours truly, <laughs> as I was learning this the scope and yeah. and figuring out because you're the the distance was something that was that's a little trickier. Correct. Yes. Um. The your your depth perception on on shooting. And, Correct. And and uh, of course we were shooting twenty two uh, rimfires. And, uh, subsonics, subsonics, <laughs> and, and so there's there's a there's a little bit of of uh, Kentucky windage and drops going on. Correct, there. yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I, I finally started getting this in, and, and I was I was telling uh, Oliver how how much I actually missed um, the sound of of footfalls when when I was falling around for deer and, and getting back into it tonight of our footfalls in wet mud um <laughs> because that's it's it's the one thing that kind of sticks out with me with that munchak hunt is because it was it was just classic english weather when i was here last time pouring rain like just just drizzly sleep. and it was it was perfect i mean like i i could it, it was not miserable i i could i couldn't have scripted the way i wanted a <laughs> european deer hunt to go than that here in england and so there's it's just the sound of the mud and, and our footsteps and so here we are walking around in the dark um and and of course i'm 
Oliver is just, he can, he can just leave me in the dust, you know, the, the whole time or leave me in the mud as it were, um, as he's walking, cause he's familiar with it. And so for me, it's, it's like, okay, I, I know how to walk on, on, but it's, it's just unfamiliar ground to me. You know, like I, I know what Arizona feels like. Yes. Um, I can walk in that. You'd probably be scared to death. But, walking uh, around. Well, yeah. Especially it's, with your, uh, snakes, snakes and, and shards and claws yeah. and barbs. But I'm, so I'm walking behind him and, and, uh, what'd you say? It looked like Patton's third army yeah driven ripped up the ride yeah there was a bunch of of ruts and stuff and and so i I started following him out we were we were getting ready to walk out and uh of this one meadow and and sure enough i i just step on the edge of this this rut and just i mean my foot slides out from underneath me and i do my level best to save that (laughs) rifle as i'm falling to my my back i'm like no save the scope save the scope i gotta keep it and so it was perfect i i fell down exactly how i wanted to the rifle was above me perfectly safe didn't hit the ground but sure enough somehow on the next rabbit i'm like we pull up we found a rabbit not very far after that and and we set up on it and i'm sitting sitting on the sticks and and i shoot and i hit the tree and he's like he's like oh he's like you hit the tree and i'm like okay so I'm like, all right, let me let me stay on. So the how again. we know that we hit the tree? We could see the glow of the round into the tree through the thermal. Yeah, yeah. So so I'm sitting there and I was like, okay, well let me let me. I maybe it was just a flyer. It was a fluke. So I shoot again. And I hit the tree, and he's like, oh, you hit the tree again. I'm like, man, I was like, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna move to the right. Maybe I maybe I did. I already immediately started thinking maybe I knocked the scope off, and so I'm like, I am fully off to the right side. If I'm going to clean miss this rabbit, it's going to be on the right side and not the tree. And I shoot and I hit the tree again. I'm like going, okay, look, I am like, I'm six inches off on the right side of this rabbit and I'm still hitting the tree. I do not understand. I'm like, there's something screwed up here. So I was like, all right, let's, let's get one more try. No, that isn't it. Like, I'm like, okay, we need, we need to take a look at the gun. Cause I'm sure it was off. So that kind of put our night short. Unfortunately did. And that's one of those uh, variables that can happen with hunting. You know, you knock, knock the rifle, knock the scope, you know, yeah. Don't go out hunting again because you don't know where where those rounds are going to start flying. Just go back to the range and re-zero yeah. and stuff. Yeah, so. so we figured, all right, well, we'll, we'll call it an early night, even though Oliver likes to be in bed even earlier. Uh, <laughs> well, I was waiting to go until two or three this morning, so... <laughs> yeah, but it, we figured this this was a good time to sit down and, and record this podcast. So um, uh, I, I super appreciate Oliver. I'm... I'm, I'm I, I think I had a successful night. I'm I'm I, the only Good. thing now is I got to come back for a European hair. Most like, definitely, I got to get a European. I got most the, definitely. Those things were huge. Um, they are big. Even looking big through chaps. the thermal, like I didn't get to see one in the daylight, but through that thermal imaging, boy, we, we like you could tell we were out in this field and we spotted one. And it was like whoa. Yeah, <laughs> that's the first thing I said to you. <laughs> like that's a big one. Correct, that is yes. definitely bigger than a than a rabbit. So. Correct. Uh, and they do hold themselves different, but yeah, I, I, uh, I'm really excited to get, uh, a European, um, hair. Um, it's, it's, it's been on my, it's been on my bucket list, but, um, thankfully this rabbit hunt, I was able to take part in and, um, get me some, some European rabbits. So this is, this will be exciting. I think I have, uh, I've, I've got some, some, uh rabbit and scrambled eggs and in, in, in my future in the morning i think for breakfast so bon appetit <laughs> do, you, do you have a favorite way other than 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 your wife's game pies or with a do lemon you know, herb do you, no do you know what i think my favorite cut is from 
a yearling fallow on the with the fillets, yeah. just pan fried, salt and pepper, olive oil. That's it. That's it. Keep it simple, stupid as this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but that to me, you know, you know, it, it's it, you know, going back to briefly about. Uh, game i had a, an interesting chat with a guy he said oh i want to take a much older animal i said why do you want to take a oh well i want to feel that i'm taking something near the end of its life and stuff like that but like we're trying to do with a lot of people we're trying to encourage people to eat game meat and i think you know the most delicious meat is coming from a yearling animal yeah. you know and i said tried to explain this to him so hopefully when he comes and does the course in uh, in the middle of april I'll, I'll prove him right that uh you know he doesn't want to eat an old fallow buck that's in the middle of a rut that's been urinating all over itself and it's just turned to lean lean <laughs> muscle and stuff like that and smelling high you know so uh, yeah you know so you know, for us with with American deer, with whitetail and mule deer and elk and stuff, um, the the young bucks, um, they just we we call them spikes. Yeah, spikes are forks because they, they're yeah. you know haven't developed, so they're kind of easy to spot. Yes. Do you have like something with that with like fallow deer or? or yeah, like a youngsters a pricket. Uh, you know, you know, you get bottom bucks with the with the, with the roe deer, or you just get a you know a small spike you know coming halfway up the ears, and you know with a monk jacket, you know. More like a, I mean, I don't coin the phrase, you know, but it, sort of a nobbler, you know. You 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 just see the uh, the curve over with the with the hair on the on the tips of the brows, just a little poke of antler yeah. coming out, you yeah. know. But uh, you know that's usually good, yeah? yeah. Meat from those young animals is 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 always good. Oh you yeah, know? no, I I yeah, if, if if it was up to me, I would just shoot spike elk like all the time because yes. I've maximized the amount of meat yes. of good quality meat that I'm going to get. <laughs> yes. Like forget shooting an old bull, man. Just, yes. just if find me a, a, a good spike. I'll, I'll, I'll be eating good for days and days. So. No, no, I, I, I heartily agree with you. No, it's, you know, we just got to, you know, we just got to break that psyche that, you know, come and hunt and consume what you hunt. You know, yeah. it, it, it is part of your, it, as much as people in modern, and I'm going to say, you know, urban society, you cannot break away from your deep DNA where you've come from. You cannot, you really can't. No, it's, it's, a, it's a nice return. You know. So, Jonathan. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Well, it's a pleasure to come and chew the fat with you so to speak you well, know i i love coming and hunting with you this was yes. it was this was first on my list of, of things to do when i come back to you i'm like i gotta go hunting with oliver again this is this is uh, it's it's i'm i i think by next time you could probably leave me in the hundred acre wood and i might be able to find my way out good good <laughs> i don't know though with all the ashes getting cut down it might look well, a little you know, strange you know next time I come I, back. i've always been of a, a tradition uh, as far as you know when people come to me, they want to get out in the field and go and hunt. I've been, I've personally been to places where I've been sort of locked up in a lodge like a dog. Oh, we're only going to hunt for one, two hours. I haven't traveled all this way to do that. I want to get immersed in nature. I want to go out and explore things and look at things. You know, yeah. it's not, a, you know, it's, it's, 
it's it's a, it's, a, it's that sort of odd 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 thing you know you want to pull the trigger but you don't want to pull the trigger at times yeah you know you want to go out and explore and have a, a whole nice time you know yeah. and that's what i try and try and um, create with people you know it's um just to get out and, and explore and see see different things yeah. You know? Well, I would definitely say I, I, you know, one of one of the hallmarks of this trip was 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 chicken pie and chips. Oh, um, good uh, for, oh, yeah. for our dinner break. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we went out and harvested the potatoes ourselves, and <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, no. Well, we needed some extra energy and some yeah, exactly. to stay warm tonight. Exactly. So. That, that's us being hypocrites, getting ready <laughs> ready made food <laughs> afterwards. But, well, yeah. you know, sometimes you. Need, you, you, you could eat soup some, you know, we, we call tag soup when you don't fill your, your, your deer tags or out tags, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> got to make soup out of tags. So we, uh, um, thankfully we did get some rabbits, but, uh, um, yeah, I think the, the, the chow on this, on this trip was good. The, yeah. Chicken pie and, and chips at the, at the local takeaway was, was pretty good. I so. have to say there are, there have only been two game dishes I've not liked in my life. Once when I was in Serbia uh exploring and all the hunting areas i was taken down to some fishermen's areas down on the danube yeah. and they collected together a, 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 a whole selection of various uh freshwater fish they caught from the danube and that was a very acquired taste the soup they made from that and i used to hunt run hunts in central asia in kazakhstan and kyrgyzstan eating very mature ibex in special stews cooked yeah. up by the locals uh that is a very acquired taste yeah. i would not say it's awful but it's certainly an acquired taste so uh you know it's tried at least once and, and yeah maybe maybe not again but. no but you know you've got to go out there uh, you know i think as a hunter you can't I would not like to see people who got into hunting start getting picky about, oh, I don't particularly want to eat that, what I've shot. Yeah. They've got to do the full 360 and consume what they get. Of course, I'm not talking about, you know, lion and carnivore, but, you know, from antelope and deer and, you know, bird species. You know, they, they've got to consume what they've hunted. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you... You're losing that disconnect. Yeah. You really are. Well, and and if you find that that it's not your favorite, I mean, I, I yeah. know I know a lot of guys who who hunt dove in the states um, yes. who cannot stand the taste of it. I love dove. I, I turn it in all kinds of meals, but yeah. um, they still go out and shoot it, and they just give it to their friends. And I'm correct. Like, you know, is that really in the spirit of hunting? You know? Well, it's like Canada goose. I I can't eat Canada goose. Yeah, <laughs> Canada goose is not your thing. No, yeah. no, no. No, so but you know, I just at least I've tried it, you know. Sure, <laughs> but but I but I I really do encourage people out there, you know, if you're going to go and hunt something, consume it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, on that note, uh, I'm going to leave you, folks. Um, we'll be uh, uh, back on the next episode uh, with uh, my next adventure here in England. Um, hope you stay tuned. Uh, appreciate you, Oliver, for joining us. And, and Thank I'm you sure very folks much. Really, really appreciate your perspective, too. So, <laughs> My good, odd perspective. <laughs> good, good, good to hear voices from across the pond. So, Thank you very much, Jonathan. All right, folks. Tune in next time. We'll see you soon. <laughs>